welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which does include anyone who has a visual impairment and is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 23rd of May and it has been a fabulous spring day. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin, Goodwin and Sally Rowe. Our engineer is, is Duncan Wynn and John Plush is around there hovering somewhere. Um, and clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle. Uh, copying, I think, is going to be Judith and Duncan. <laughs> um, and we also thank um, the music by Sheila Joins and our thought for the day from Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. The obituaries will leave until after the end music. We'll have the thought for the week, see if there's anyone's birthday and then have the past week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times. They will be followed by the stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone wishes to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, W-Y-L-D-S in Worcester W-R-5 1-D-A and we do thank anyone who has sent in a donation. We do like to hear from you. Any suggestions for improvement or any complaints of course. Add a message in your wallet or leave one on the answer phone 01905 six. Uh, but please be aware, we're not here every day, so please be patient. Leave a message and we will get back to you. And I'm going to ask Janet now if she would read out the local theatre and useful telephone numbers, please. Our phone number here in Wilds Lane is 01905 Worcester Live is 01905 Six double one four two seven. Malvern Theatres O one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. Police Non Emergency one O one. Crime Stoppers O eight hundred five 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 one one one. Worcester Hub O one nine O five seven six five seven six five. Norbury Theatre. O one nine oh five double seven zero one five four NHS Direct one 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 Out of Hours Medical Assistance that's six PM to eight PM O three hundred one two three three two one one The Infirmary Museum O one nine oh five five four two three seven three Thank you. Um, I'm going to remind everyone about our extensive library of talking books, fiction, thrillers, romance, to name but a few. And the talking books are available um, mostly on um, tape or CD. We can provide a list of books in our library. Um, it can be in large print or a hard copy or on tape. 
Leave a message on our phone number 01905 um, or put a note in your wallet um, if you would like to make yourself um, available, you know, use that service. Okay, um, Sally, what's on locally, please? Well, it's half term next week, so in Malvern there's a couple of things on for youngsters, if anybody's got grandchildren or children who may want to go to see something. They've got um, the tiger who came to tea on Friday the 31st of May until Sunday the 2nd of June. And that's 1.30 on Friday and then Saturday and Sunday it's 11am and 2pm. And then following on from that also at Malvern Theatre is Zog. And Zog is coming on Wednesday the 5th at 4.30, Thursday the 6th at 10.30 and 1.30. Then for the adults, um, on Thursday, Tuesday the 4th to Saturday the 8th is Anthony Horowitz's Mind Game, a mind-bending thriller. And that's on in the evenings at 7.30 and Wednesday and Saturday matinees at 2.30. Then there's some um, a live streaming from Stratford on Wednesday the 5th of June at 7 o'clock. The Taming of the Shrew. Then on Saturday the 8th of June is also a live streaming of Take That, The Greatest Hits Live. So that's all in Malvern. So then moving to Worcester, um, on Saturday the 25th at the Swan Theatre is the Everly Brothers and Tribute, Friends Tribute Show. Um, at 7.30. On Thursday the 30th of May at 6 o'clock is a tribute to Ariana Grande and Jojo Sewer, the Bows and Bunny Ears tour and that's at the Swan Theatre as well. And then at the Huntington Hall on Thursday the 30th of May at 7.30 is Dave Kelly and Christine Collister founding members of the Blues Band. Um, so that's a, another musical interlude. And then in Huntingdon Hall on Friday the 31st of May at 7.30 is Viva Neil Diamond. Bob Drury celebrates a legend. Then on Friday the 31st of May at 7.30 at the Swan Theatre is Jane Eyre, the Hot Buckle production a new adaption by Adrian Preeter. Um, then on Saturday the 1st of June at the Huntingdon Hall is Mark Steele, Every Little Thing's Going to Be All Right. Um, and then on Saturday the 1st of June at the Swan Theatre is Made in Motown, and that's at 7.30. And then on Sunday the 2nd of June at the Huntingdon Hall at 11 o'clock is a coffee concert with Zoe Byers on the violin and Philip Moore on the piano. And the programme is Debussy Violin Sonata in G minor, Dave, um, Romanza for Violin and Piano, Opera 119A Elgar, and Violin Sonata in E minor, Opera 82. And... Um, Zoe Byers is leader of the English Symphony Orchestra. 
And so there's a fair selection of things to do in Worcester and Malvern in the next week or two. Thank you, Sally. Um, I now have the um, thought for the week. Um, it's taken from St Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 37 to 39. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Judith, do we have any birthdays this week? Uh, we don't, Liz, I'm afraid. Oh, no, okay. no, no. All right. No well, this week at all. Could I ask you for the headlines? Sunrise, mm, sunset, yeah. and the first headline story then, please. Thank yes. you. Yes, um, and the headlines. <clears throat> Drunk hurled racist abuse at taxi driver. Have a go, heroes. Snare Rolex thief. Wheelie teens dicing with death. Drug arrests, crash carnage. And finally, rowdy students have ruined our community. And the sunrise now is 5.01am and sunset is 9.09pm. And now for the first headline... Taxi driver feared for his safety as he was racially abused by a man in Worcester. Nasir Mahmood was driving his taxi just after midnight on April the 18th when he picked up Jack Payne from Barker Street. Payne, who was under the influence of alcohol, began using racially abusive language towards Mr Mahmood. Mr Mahmood then ordered Payne to get out of his cab saying he would not take him any further while the abuse continued. The row continued as Payne, 22, of Rodborough Drive, continued to hurl race, racial abuse at Mr Mahmood and magistrates in Worcester heard how he allegedly tried to get into the front seat of the taxi to confront him. Fearing for his safety, Mr Mahmood dialed 999, and several police officers were sent to the scene. At the trial at Worcester Magistrates Court on May the 16th, where Payne appeared charged with one count of racially or religiously ag aggravated harassment, Prosecutor Shafquat Reyes said, The altercation continued as the defendant tried to jump into the front seat of the car and got physical while still using the racial language. When the police arrived, he said it again. This is a hate crime. Payne was in danger of being sent to prison due to the racial nature of the offence. But the court heard how the circumstances of his person, personal life meant he was in a very stressful state on the night when the incident happened. Representing Payne, Belinda Aris said... My client has a fairly complicated and stressful private life with his own issues he is seeking support for. He has to be a carer for other family members and has a 15-month-old son, as well as a recent family bereavement. 
The way he deals with these things is by drinking, which he accepts is not the right way to deal with issues. He is extremely remorseful and wants more help. He has an unenviable record of public order offences, but he is trying to get more support from Swanswell. Magistrates decided to order Payne to pay Mr Mahmood £100 for the emotional distress he suffered, as well as ordering him to carry out 100 hours unpaid work in the community as part of a 12-month community order. Because of long-standing fines from previous convictions amounting to over £2,000, the court did not order Payne to pay a victim surcharge or court costs. A pair of Havago heroes chased and caught a watch thief while they were out engagement ring shopping. Tom Workman and his best man, Conor O'Malley, were at Fraser Hart Jewellers in the city centre when a teenager stole a £14,500 Rolex watch and ran off down the high street. The two friends pursued the young shoplifter before Mr Workman was able to rugby tackle him and then they pinned him down while the police arrived to make the arrest. We weren't scared, the adrenaline was going, said Mr Workman, 27. I didn't even know whether he had anything. It was just someone shouted, stop him, and we chased him down. The hopeful groom-to-be said his partner, Rosie Black, has no idea about his heroics or that he plans to propose in a month's time. When I saw her at home, I couldn't tell her, he told the Worcester News. I just had to say it had been a normal, boring day at work. While holding out some hope that Miss Black, also 27, won't find out before he can pop the question, he said he more than likely will have, come, have to come clean if she sees this article. Mr Workman and Mr O'Malley had been to a few jewellery stores before arriving at Fraser Hart in the High Street, also a registered Rolex dealer, at about 3.30pm. A shop assistant was at the back of the store with a young male letting him try on different Rolex watches while the two friends were in the middle browsing the rings. We had our backs to them. The next thing we knew, the shop assistant screams and we thought she'd dropped something. Then she shouted, stop him. The guy ran past us out of the store. We chased after him down the high street and managed to get the Rolex off him. Mr Workman said the thief was very slow in his getaway and they only had to chase him about 50 metres and then he was pinned down. He kept apologising and asked us to let him go. Mr Workman said the Fraser Half staff locked down the store during the incident while security from other nearby stores came out to give a hand and capture footage on their body cams. The jewellery store has promised a discounted engagement ring and he hopes to get the CCTV footage to play during his wedding speech. The couple from Evesham have been dating for around two years, but first met at school when they were both 13. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said a Rolex watch was recovered from a male at 3.45pm. Police were called after a suspicious male was stopped outside the store. He was arrested for shoplifting. Fraser Hart did not provide a comment before the news went to press. Someone could be killed if teenagers pulling wheelies on bikes in the city centre are not stopped. 
Worcester News readers have highlighted several incidents of teens recklessly doing wheelies near pedestrians and cars in the last few weeks. Paul Garrity from Worcester said, Teenagers riding their bikes and doing wheelies in the middle of the road is a growing issue in the city. Adding, I'd say over the last two or three months, more teens are doing these wheelies on the road. I can't believe their total lack of respect for their own lives. They're being so stupid and endangering theirs and other lives. Mr Geraghty claims he saw at rush hour five teenagers doing wheelies on their bikes in Foregate Street towards oncoming traffic, which caused drivers to (coughs) swerve out of the way. He said there were two teens in the bus lane and two on the road next to me and one on the pavement. When the lights changed, they were wheeling in front of the car in front of me, forcing me to drive cautiously and very slowly. Then two of the riders veered onto the other side of the central reservation by the shops and were wheeling into oncoming traffic on the wrong side of the road. Mr Geraghty, aged 40, added, Drivers were shouting and peeping their horns, only to get a load of abuse back. I feel it's only a matter of time until one or more of these boys are killed. Mr Geraghty describes people doing wheelies in the road as the latest craze, adding, You see on YouTube that kids in America are doing wheelies on their motorbikes in the road. Clearly they think it's clever and these teens are trying to copy. Mr Geraghty claims he has witnessed this issue all over Worcester, especially in areas such as Brickfields Road, Bilford Road, City Wall Road and on the Worcester Bridge. These lads are not wearing helmets. I was waiting for one to get knocked off. I couldn't imagine how bad I would feel having knocked one of these twits off their bike, even knowing it wasn't my fault. I think this needs to be brought to the public's attention as it's happening all over Worcester. These teenagers need to be educated and taught some respect. I have no problem against cyclists at all, as I am one, but consideration needs to be given to other road and pavement users. Mr Geraghty has not reported the issue which happened on May the 10th to the police. Councillor Richard Udall said these teenagers should be very careful and aware of their surroundings when, when on their own bikes. If they would like to do wheelies, it should be away from the road and in a quiet area. Reader James Taundry claims he often spots teen cyclists up and down Fourgate Street in the bus lane continually. Mr Taundry from Worcester added, It's pretty stupid, very unsafe and distracting to drivers. Kids out doing wheelies isn't an issue, but these are teenagers doing it in dangerous places or menacing others around them. A couple of weeks back, they were congregating around a much older person, maybe in his mid-twenties, who also had a bike and was egging them on. They were throwing those bangers or whatever they're called at people, including me. After a while, it got rather intimidating, so I decided to move on quickly. Sophie King said she has seen two teenage boys riding along Gregory's Bank in Worcester, adding, They were swerving out when I was trying to pass them by. I had to go so wide, I'm glad a car wasn't coming the other way. Patrick Tinton said, One of them nearly knocked an old lady over last weekend. I asked them to be a little more careful and was met with abuse. I thought the high street was a pedestrian zone. West Mercia Police said, We are aware of issues in and around Worcester City Centre with young persons pulling wheelies on bikes. When seen, we try to stop and educate the persons on this behaviour and the dangers involved. 
Persons repeating this behaviour will be reported to our antisocial behaviour department and dealt with accordingly. We do, do not receive a lot of calls in regard to this, but we do encourage members of the public to call any antisocial behaviour to report at, on our non-emergency number 101. Seven. Seven arrests have been made during a week of police raids by a team who are targeting drug dealers. The South Worcester Proactive CID team are targeting county lines drug dealers where criminal gangs set up a drug dealing operation in the county from other cities. Last week, officers arrested seven people, all of whom were released under investigation, recovered more than £1,600 in cash and seized ten mobile phones. The previous week... There were six arrests to do with county lines, where four had been, have been charged and will go to court in June. The arrests were made as part of Operation Protect, an initiative to target serious and organised crime in West Mercia. The aim of the initiative is to cut the supply of Class A drugs into smaller cities like Worcester from major cities such as Birmingham. Detective Sergeant Luke Papps, who is head of the team, said he believed there had, has been a reduction in violent crime in Worcester as a result of targeting drug dealers locally and branching out. DS Papps said... Our aim is to make Worcester a less desirable place for someone to supply drugs. We want to continue to make it a safe place. We are moving weapons off the streets, which include acid, ammonia, knives and CS spray, all of which have been brought into Worcester through people supplying drugs. He added, We have got more significant prison sentences for people. We will work with everyone and anyone necessary to achieve that aim of making Worcester a safe place and make it a difficult place for dealers to supply. What we do is make sure it is not all about the arrests, but it's about people getting convicted and getting decent sentences. We then put measures in place to restrict them from coming back to Worcester. Officers have made almost 40 arrests this year and recovered numerous weapons, including a CS spray and seven knives, which include Stanley and, no and Lock knives. The South Worcester Proactive CID team was formed in 2016 and consists of a sergeant and eight detectives. Officers choose their own investigations and work alongside the local policing priority team, where colleagues across South Worcester assist with arrest and searches, all way through to court. DS Paps says the team do not restrict themselves to Worcester. Instead, the officers go to the root of the problem, adding, We have had investigations that have spread across into Essex and Metropolitan Forces. Officers work with par partner agencies, including housing to ensure people are safe within their homes, working together with the local policing Safer Neighbourhood team. Eleven vulnerable addresses were visited last week. DS Paps team uses warrants to visit addresses 
and if an individual is found to be vulnerable, they put safeguarding measures in place. It is all about community safety and making people feel safe in their homes, he said. Another initiative was launched in 2017 called Operation Blade, which saw a reduction in violent crime in South Worcester by 25% over 15 months. A woman was left covered in blood after a seven-car crash which saw one car flipped onto its roof and another land in a front garden. The crash happened in a residential street in the early hours of the morning after two men were driving dangerously, say residents. They reported hearing a loud screech before the smash, which also significantly damaged five parked cars in Linden Road, Tolodyne. A woman who was a passenger in one of the cars suffered relatively minor injuries and was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Andrew Pugh, who's parked Ford Fiesta ST line, was smashed in the crash and he said, I came out and there was a car which looked like it was going to burst into flames. The car was upside down on its roof and a woman was standing next to it covered in blood. The car was making a horrible noise. I thought it was going to blow. The crash was bad. They're lucky to be alive. I'm just glad nobody was seriously hurt. Imagine if this had happened during the day. I'm shocked that no one was killed. Mr Pugh, 50, claims his girlfriend saw a man chasing another man up the road while holding a golf club, adding it was like he wanted to kill him. He added, the drivers must have been going too fast to have called all this. There are skid marks across the road. My car was up the street and it still managed to get smashed. One of the drivers hit a bin. There was rubbish scattered all over the road. The neighbours were all out cleaning up the rubbish this morning. There is glass everywhere. It keeps getting stuck in my shoe. People living in the road say they believe the men may have been driving recklessly in the road prior to the crash at around 2.36am on Tuesday, May the 21st. A resident who didn't want to be named said she heard the car's crash, adding, it was the most horrible noise, I cannot get it out of my head. I heard a girl shouting for help. I haven't slept all night. I'm knackered. Chris Kilcoyne Chapman, aged 29, said he was so distressed by the crash he had to take a day off work. He added, I'm really shocked. I can't believe someone was that irresponsible. A car went, almost went through my neighbour's front window opposite. It could have gone, got a lot worse if it was a few hours later and people were up and about. Sam Kilcoyne Chapman, aged 27, said... Had this crash been worse, a car parked on a driveway could have gone through someone's living room window. My neighbours now don't have a car between them, as both of theirs have been written off. The paramedics and fire crew were amazing and dealt with everything as best they could. She added, I don't understand why the police are appealing for witnesses when we all gave our statements to them. They should have taken the men in for dangerous driving and questioned them. West Mercia Police said... At approximately 2.40am, we received multiple reports from the public that there had been a serious RTC on Linden Road, Worcester, in which a number of vehicles were involved. Upon our arrival, it was evident that there had been an incident between two cars, which had resulted in a number of other parked cars also being struck. 
Our inquiries are ongoing. Police are appealing for witnesses to come forward in relation to this incident by calling 101, quoting incident number 0041S210519. A neighbourhood has been destroyed by antisocial students whose bad language and noisy parties have driven families away and caused house prices to plummet, said a father of one. Adam Newell moved into his home in Hawkwood Crescent, St John's, three years ago and says he has seen neighbours either side of him move out and his property, sink, his property value sink to virtually worthless. The 47-year-old said it was, wasn't just the decibels of noise, but also the obscene content of conversations and chants, meaning he can't allow his young child, aged five, into the garden. He said, it's impossible to sit in your garden with your family because what we are having to listen to and witness is disgusting. Mr Newell said he's watched students on a trampoline peeing over my fence and others hanging out of the window with their jeans coming down. Asking them to stop, and even taking his daughter round to show them why he is complaining, hasn't helped, he said. And he claims in retaliation his car has been scratched and a wiper blade ripped off. Other residents, many with young families, are too scared to speak after having bottles thrown into their gardens, Mr Newell claims. These landlords need to be making sure that this doesn't happen or they should lose their licences, he said. Mr Newell has attempted to sell his house but believes the student issue has made it impossible and dropped the value to nil. He claims some of the landlords used to live in the properties in question but due to the disturbances from other student houses decided to leave and rent them out, adding to the problem. And once one batch of students is replaced with another, the issue remains the same, he said. I'm happy to live here and fight it to the death, he continued. All of these houses in multiple occupation, HMOs, have ruined the community. Everyone knows it's a problem. The council, police say the same. You shouldn't have to live like that. Then I say, what do I do? And they say, I don't know. There are a lot of older people and these students have ruined the last years of their lives and nothing has been done. Us homeowners have got to take it back from the HMOs or get the landlords to take control of the situation or lose the income. Mr Newell has turned to City Councillor Chris Mitchell who has successfully pushed for changes to the process in which complaints against HMOs are made. Councillor Mitchell said the council's complaints process was neither robust, well understood or transparent for anyone. Now officers have formalised the process so that there's no ambiguity if a resident needs to deal with a rogue household, said the councillor. I've got them to put it into a flow diagram. It just clarifies what to do, who has to do it, where responsibility lies and what the next action was, he continued. Whilst that was all there, it was very wordy and it was difficult to understand. Someone trying to log on, it is a bit cumbersome, so we streamlined it. 
He said an easier-to-follow complaints procedure will mean a sufficient audit trail can be built up in line with the council, university, Worcester Regulatory Authority and the police. Now we have a process where the council, if the landlord doesn't affect changes, the council can ultimately, and, it is, and it's the ultimate sanction, remove their licence. Councillor Mitchell said the majority of landlords and HMOs are not a problem, though he said in his eight years as a councillor, the four or five cases he's dealt with have all related to students. Either the landlords are not engaged or the residents are not listening and if it's the case, as a responsible business holder, as far as we're concerned, they should try and get rid of them. He said he has had meetings with the University of Worcester, which has the ultimate sanction of removing the university place from any troublesome students. But he accepts once students are off campus, they are just young people living in their own houses and the university's power is limited. The university does fund two PCSOs, but Councillor Mitchell said there's a potential conflict there because the PCSOs are employed by the university and the university's customers are the students. At times, some people just need to be told you cannot do this and if you do it again, there is a consequence. It's been so long that it appears there is no consequence to the student or the landlord of having a disruptive HMO, he added. A University of Worcester spokesman said the university takes its responsibility as a member of the Worcester community very seriously and works hard with local residents and students to maintain a harmonious relationship. Our student services team and specialist police community support officers work in tandem to provide advice, guidance and, if needed, mediation to resolve any issues which may arise and to find peaceful ways to live side by side. The PCSOs are employed and are responsible to West Mercia Police. They are seconded to work at the university for most of their duties in exchange for the university's funding and it has always been clear that their role is to prevent crime, crime and support residents who live near the university's campuses as well as students and staff. The spokesman added, the university works closely with the Students' Union to encourage students to behave in a sensible and courteous manner. All students sign up to a code of conduct, which clearly sets out the behaviour the university expects, as well as procedures for dealing with poor or unacceptable behaviour. The code includes a range of disciplinary measures, which the university robustly applies when appropriate, said the spokesman. If residents are concerned about the behaviour of students, we would ask them to report these to us as soon as possible, so that we can work with them to resolve any problems swiftly. Residents who wish to report a problem can call 01905 855 Zero, zero, zero. And that concludes all of the headline stories from the past week. So we're going to start with the general news. Thank you. Right. Well, on a similar vein to the uh, last headline, 
Um, this is a plan to convert <clears throat> a city bed and breakfast into a 13-bed house of multiple occupation, HMO, which looks set to be approved. The application would see Wyatt Guest House in Barbon Road transformed into the apartments with a number of shared facilities. The guest house, which sits in the Shrubbery Avenue conservation area and is designated as being within an archaeologically sensitive area, is split over four floors, all of which are proposed to be converted. Permission to, de to demolish a conservatory at the back of the eight-bedroom B&B to make way for two studio apartments, three flats and a townhouse was approved in March 2018. The demolition and extension would works uh, <clears throat> the demolition and extension work would work still go ahead if Worcester City Council's planning committee goes along with its planning department and approves the plan at a meeting on Thursday, May the 23rd, which actually is today. The building <clears throat> has been up for sale since April 2015. The B&B owners wanted to sell the building to a developer to carry out the work, but it gathered little interest, resulting in the request to convert the building into a, a, an HMO. The new plan shows 13 bedrooms each with an ensuite with a shared kitchen and a shared communal area. Three bedrooms spread across the extension would share another kitchen and communal area. According to council planners, approving the application would push the percentage of homes within a 100 metre radius up to 9.5%. The Council's planning policy on HMOs allows for no more than 10% of homes within a 100 metre radius to be classed as HMOs. Council planners were also satisfied the other <coughs> HMO policies, which ensures no more than two adjacent properties are HMOs and supports applications for HMOs unless it has a negative effect on parking results in insufficient space for waste and recycling or is out of keeping with the character of the area. We're not broken. Neighbours were incorrectly told by the council the new HMO would be breaking the 10% threshold because of a miscalculation. Neighbours were told of the mistake through a letter. Council planners said the building being used as a more permanent resident res, residence rather than a temporary B&B &B, would increase activity in the area. The size of the HMO would usually require at least four parking spaces, but planners have accepted the lack of parking due to its close location to the city centre. An investigation has been launched after formal complaints were made about the odour from a farm's newly installed 1,000-capacity piggery. Witchhaven District Council granted planning permission for a building to house livestock at Daniel's Farm in Clains last year. But some villagers are unhappy with the smell 
after it came into use for pigs in April. A resident of nearby Egg Lane, who did not wish to be named, told us it's not something we can live with and said she is upset she and neighbours allegedly received no planning notices. The 51-year-old said it is a most disgusting rotten urine smell which has intensified with the onset of the nicer weather. However, Gary Williams, head of planning at the District Council, said the necessary consultations and notices were sent out according with planning procedures during a consultation prior to approval last May. He went on to say his colleagues in environmental health have received two complaints about the odour from the site and are investigating to see whether or not any action is necessary. However, it is important people are aware that as long as animals are being kept appropriately, then planning powers to deal with smells from farms are limited, where this is associated with the general agricultural use. He added, we as the local planning authority will, however, monitor the situation and will take action if any is appropriate. The Vicarage Lane Farm is owned by farmer and North Clains Parish Councillor Peter Phillips. Councillor Tony Miller, who represents Lovett and North Clains on the District Council, said no complaints have been made directly to him and if people move to the country, they have to put up with it. If the piggery breaches conditions or becomes a nuisance, it will be investigated and we will try to eliminate the problem, he said previously. The solution will not be to remove it, but resolve the problem. I have had complaints from people who have moved to the country and don't like the cockerels waking them. I'm sorry, but that's what you signed up for. If you live next to a farm and it's a working farm, it's not a showpiece. It's producing food for us. People have got to accept it was here before them. A staggering £40,000 was raised for a breast cancer unit in memory of a campaigner who lost her battle in October. Kate Butler was an active campaigner who set up breast unit events with best friend Susie Coleman to create and run fundraisers for the Worcestershire Breast Unit. Mrs Butler helped organise the last snowball in 2016, which raised £21,000 for the unit. Mrs Coleman said she was determined to honour her best friend's wish for her to hold another ball. Mrs Coleman said, It was incredible. I think it just surpassed all expectations of what we could potentially raise. I am just absolutely blown away. Kate will be smiling away wherever she is. Hopefully I've made her proud. Mrs Butler detailed her cancer battle in a column in the Worcester News. Mrs Mrs. Coleman said her and Mrs Butler had raised around £150,000 for the unit. She said something so awful in having a breast cancer diagnosis brought us together and we have been able to achieve more than I ever imagined pre-diagnosis. Out of something so negative came something so positive. I was blessed to have Kate in my life and I am gutted that it was for such a short time, but I wouldn't change it for the world. She has made me a better person. The money was raised from an auction, a silent auction, as well as a raffle and some donations. She added, I spoke to my breast consultant Stephen Thrush and he was gobsmacked. Generally, fundraising just goes into the charity pot, but this time I asked if it can be used specifically for something, whether it's machinery, whether it's on the diagnostic side or something that can be used in surgery. He said it was absolutely fine and he will let me know in due course what they would like to do. Mrs Coleman said, he is the man who saved my life, the reason I am still here. 
He gave a speech at the ball. He was quite passionate about saying something about me and Kate. I just hope the money will help them up there, the breast unit, because they are incredible and I owe them my life. Mrs Coleman said she feels the snowball has now run its course, but there will be other events to come. I've been working so hard putting that together, I might need a bit of a breather. I feel we have gone out on a high. A dramatic picture shows a car on fire in the early hours of Wednesday morning. It was at the end of Lowell Street in the Arboretum next to the canal at around 2.37am and it was captured by Joe Singh who said, I called the police at 2.55am after I heard popping and banging sounds outside my girlfriend's house. I went outside and some neighbours were in the street. One of them had called the fire brigade who arrived about 10 minutes later. They had to work hard to put out the fire, but succeeded after about 20 minutes. He added, at one point, the car parked in front of the one in flames caught fire, but that was quickly dealt with. The owner of that vehicle was obviously alerted as she met a police officer who arrived on duty and asked her to move her vehicle. A spokesman from West Midlands Fire and Rescue Service said firefighters were initially called at 2.37am. One car, understood to be abandoned, was well alight and the fire was extinguished using one hose reel. There were no casualties. Six Worcester St John's Cycling Club riders took part in the three-day veterans tour of the Abilis Stage Race. The prestigious event attracted quality teams from across the country. In the over-50s category, the top Worcester rider was Vince Page, who got on the podium on stages two and three to finish well in eighth overall. Richard Rollison made up time on the tough final day to finish 11th, while Richard Graham was 21st. The winner was Russell Harrington from Team Cycle Cymru. In the over-40s, Richard Alcock also turned in a strong performance on the final day to move up into 13th overall. After a promising start in the prologue, Mark Corbett slipped back each day to 26th. They were ably assisted by teammate Adrian Bird in 28th. Dave Griffiths from Clee Cycles won the title. Meanwhile, 18 riders took part in the 20-mile Kinnersley Stoke Time trial organised by Worcester St John's. Simon Garrett, uh, in brackets echelon, took the win in 44 minutes, 29 seconds. Home rider Johnny Bryan was second in 45.16 and Paul Guest third in 45.53. Departing manager John Snape insisted he would leave Worcester City with fond memories, despite feeling supporters had wanted a change. Snape resigned after two and a half seasons in charge and was named Paul Smith's new assistant at Hales Owen Town less than 24 hours later. Revered from his playing days at City, Snape was drafted in as first-team coach by Carl Healy in July 2009. 
2013 and stepped up to become assistant manager following the departure of Matt Gardner to Kidderminster Harriers. The ex-Bromsgrove Rovers boss then took the reins temporarily in January 2016 when Healy resigned amid budget cuts with the club in the thick of a National North relegation battle. City finished in the drop zone, but the club had opted to take voluntary demotion anyway, ending up in the Midland Football League, MFL. Snape stayed on and recruited Lee Hughes as joint manager, keeping City in the hunt for promotion to the board's desired level of step four for most of the campaign. But when Hughes left within 24 hours of then-chairman Anthony Hampson, announcing the playing budget may need to be axed altogether to fund a new stadium in March 2018, a number of high-profile names followed. Snape again stuck with it and rebuilt on a reduced budget, but despite a promising start, City drift into an 11th-placed finish in the MFL Premier Division. That form saw grumbles grow from an expectant fan base, with Snape acknowledging that had played a part in his decision to accept Smith's offer. I left Worcester City because I felt it was time for a change. I have been thinking that for a while, with how results went and how the crowd was, said Snape. They wanted a change. Now they have one. I had some excellent support at the club and the past six years have been brilliant. I've enjoyed every minute since Carl brought me in. There is a new adventure for me now, but I cannot thank the people who did support me enough. To those that didn't, all I would say is I always wanted the best for the football club and that was one of the reasons why I left. A new chairman and board has come in over the past year. Yes, there were wrangles and disappointments off the pitch with the ground situation rumbling on, but this was about me feeling it needed a fresh approach. I think I stabilised the club at a time it needed that. This time, six years ago, we probably expected the ground to be sorted out by now, but that has not come to fruition for a number of reasons. We split amicably, and I leave with fond memories. I wish the club and everyone there every success for the future from the bottom of my heart. Fans might have been split on Snape's record, but one thing they tended to agree on was that he off-field situations had dealt him a pretty rough hand. I think the key thing is that the club is still going and has a future, Snape added. I'm not saying it is a difficult job because that would be unfair on what is a fantastic football club. With my own absence through different reasons last season, it was for time for a change. I think the club wanted it, especially the fan base, and it has happened. The position we finished in last season was not good enough. There are many reasons and caveats, but I won't hide behind anything, and that was one of the reasons I felt it was time for change. There is a lot of time for the club to get things sorted out. I have no hang-ups about it. My time has been fantastic with the FA Cup runs and working with former teammates Carl and Matt. It is time for a new person at the helm, and I think they have an ideal up-and-coming manager in Ash Vincent. I was looking for a new challenge and the opportunity to work with Paul Smith at Hales Owen, a club close to my heart from my playing days, is a good one. Loyal scrum half Johnny R described Worcester Warriors' dramatic 31-29 win over Saracens as a fairy tale ending to his 23-year six-ways career. 
The homegrown star was given a hero's welcome when he ran out in front of Warriors supporters for the last time before playing his part in the last gasp triumph. R came off with the bench for his 218th and final appearance for Worcester before his departure this summer. And the 30-year-old helped his side come from 29-21 behind to secure a memorable final day of victory with Duncan Weir landing a penalty at the death. It was a fairy tale ending, said R, who came on with 14 minutes remaining. The boys put in one hell of a performance. They never gave up and we got there in the end with Duncan's kick to win the game, which was great. I wanted to get on as soon as possible, but obviously it was down to the coaches. They picked their moment and it worked out all right. But this was not just about me. For those boys who were staying, it was important that we got the win so they could build into next year. And for all the other boys who are leaving, they have put so much effort in, it meant just as much for them as it did for me. R said it had been a strange final week at the club that he joined as a seven-year-old. But the popular number nine admitted that success over European champion Saris was one of his standout moments in a Warriors shirt. It was great to walk out at the start, have that reception from the fans, and then great to come on and play my part in a home victory, R said. That one will stand out. My testimonial game against Gloucester last year is another one. Every time I run out at six ways, it's brilliant, but to nip over for a try on my testimonial day was really special. It's been a strange week and I don't think this is going to settle in for a while. I've been here for so long, I'm half expecting to have a bit of a time off and then come back in. But that's not going to be the case. I will enjoy this win as it's been amazing and will look forward to the future. Since making his debut in 2007... R has experienced many highs and lows, but was unable to help Warriors finish any higher than 10th in the Gallagher Premiership this season. Worcester ended up in the bottom three for the 11th time in 13 seasons, in the top flight, but registered their second highest points tally of 46 this term, just one off their Premiership best. Considering how tight the league has been, it is a great effort to get that amount of points, R added. But ultimately, it is still not enough and it will be down to the boys next year to push for more. There have been some great performances and great results this year. If the boys can come a bit more consistent, then I think they will break into that top half of the table. We've always had that goal. It is not to be again this year, but it'd be great to look back in a few years and see the Worcester boys up there in the mix of the top. A hotel forms part of a new north stand being proposed for six ways as Worcester Warriors bid to become a top five premiership club. Life President Cecil Duckworth said co-owners Jason Whittingham and Colin Goldring share the ambitious vision for Warriors which he set out to achieve in 1993. Duckworth revealed proposals were at an advanced planning stage for a new north stand with a hotel, although a full application has yet to be tabled to Witchhaven District Council. Jed McCrory was behind a consortium that bought Warriors in early October, before Whittingham and Goldring were appointed as directors later that month. 
Speaking to the Worcester News in February, McCrory said he wanted to increase the ground's capacity to 16,500 and had held very positive talks with Witchhaven. The pre-planning process is now believed to be underway as the Premiership Club aimed to construct a North Stand Hotel and Conference Centre with additional seating, a standing section, hospitality boxes and a fan zone. Duckworth, who resigned from the board to become life president following the sale of the club, welcomed the expansion plans in his statement published in Saturday's programme for Warriors Match against Saracens. From my point of view, it is a pleasure to see that Jason and Collins share the ambitious vision for the club which I set out to achieve way back in 1993 when I first became involved, Duckworth said. That was to have a strong uh, that was to have a strong academy developing the best local players, to have one of the best grounds with the best training facilities in the country, and to be a top five premiership team. Jason and Colin share that vision, and they have spent the season working hard behind the scenes, investing in the playing squad and commercial staff, and improving the facilities at six ways. Plans are at an advanced stage and a lot of work has already been done on improving the infrastructure of Six Ways to make the match day experience more enjoyable for you, our valued supporters. Thanks to Duckworth's investment, Worcester rose through the leagues to become a top-flight rugby club for the first time in 2004. Warriors were put on the market by previous owners Six Ways Holdings Limited in September 2017, before the sale was completed almost 12 months later. Despite the early season uncertainty, Duckworth said the 2018-19 campaign proved to be successful as Worcester finished 10th and reached the knockout stages of the Premiership Cup and European Challenge Cup. It has been an eventful season at Six Ways, which started with uncertainty with regards to the ownership of the club and having a new coaching team in place, Duckworth said. Ultimately, both have proved to be successful. The ownership matter was resolved in early October and we now have got excellent owners, particularly Jason and Colin, who I have worked closely with. We have all enjoyed some great wins, <clears throat> including Leeds, league doubles over Leicester Tigers and Bristol and home and away successes against Stade Francais in Europe but we are also aware that we have lacked consistency and that is something which has to be addressed that will be the challenge going forward but we will have two important advantages next season one the uncertainty of ownership has been removed and two we will have a more settled and more experienced coaching team. They will have the benefit of several of our talented youngsters making the transition from academy to senior players. Uh, now, this article is following on from um, one of the headline stories, Wheelie Teens Dicing with Death. And this follow-up is... Um, claims that someone could be killed or seriously injured by irresponsible cycling in Worcester City Centre have resulted in a surge of comments from readers. Resident Paul Geraghty said 
that teenagers recklessly pulling wheelies on bicycles in the middle of the road near pedestrians and cars is a growing problem that requires action. Among those to comment was Claire Stevens. She said, Kids out on bikes, great, I'm all for it. Kids being total plonkers in front of cars, weaving across into oncoming traffic, almost falling off in front of a car after a wheelie gone wrong, I absolutely hate. And it would be the driver's fault. They'd be living with guilt for injuries caused, even though in many cases it wouldn't even be their fault. But Sven Nielsen had a different view. I used to ride on my back wheel all the time when I was a kid. It's not dangerous at all if you've got the skill. No different from riding a unicycle, really. It's called being young. People should stop demonising young people. Samantha Wood said children should be encouraged to steer away from technology and get out on their bikes, adding, It's about time Worcester started thinking about our younger generation. What is there for them to do? How about re-education and building a bike park and trails? Encouraging bike safety, positive actions rather than banning skateboards, bikes and kids. Mr Worcester also commented saying, There is nothing else for young people to do in Worcester. They should give them somewhere to ride if they have a problem with them doing it. G-Dog said, Someone will be killed or seriously injured by one of these idiots. Though sadly, it'll be an innocent bystander. They think they have the right to do what the hell they like and get away with it. Letterman said, How did people, how did people now in their thirties and older cope when they were young? Back then, there were still few facilities and yet we found ways to have fun and enjoy ourselves with resorting deliberate and without I think it's without resorting to deliberate antisocial behaviour and 27 feet added having witnessed kids doing this while cycling the wrong way down the bus lane on the tithing last week it is an accident waiting to happen the traditional fireworks display has been scrapped from the annual Worcester Festival finale after organisers decided to reconsider the money spent on it. The annual Worcester Fire Festival finale fireworks has brought the extravaganza to a close each year since its launch back in 2003. However, this year the festival will break with tradition and forego the display, which costs many thousands of pounds, in favour of a whole host of new community events that will take place throughout its duration. Festival director Chris Yeager said, This has been a big decision for us and one that we have not taken lightly. We believe that this is the right time for a change and that this decision will allow us to move the festival forward in a really positive way. In recent years, we have become increasingly conscious of the need to consider the bigger impact of the fireworks and to weigh up whether the amount of money spent on the display can be justified. We have been listening to the local community and taking on board their concerns regarding the environmental impact of the fireworks. We also understand that for many pet owners and farmers, the fireworks can be an unwelcome source of distress. 
Many people have also expressed the view that 12 minutes is not long enough to justify such a lot of money simply going up in smoke, and we have come to agree with them. Mr Yeager also said that the money which would normally be spent on fireworks can instead be spent on different activities. He said there will be more free street theatre, more free workshops, more free events all round, even some free concerts this year. We always want to put on lots of great things for children, for families and for everyone, and the money freed up will enable us to offer more free community events than ever before. Meanwhile, after 24 years at the helm, Mr Yeager is leaving Worcester Live by mutual agreement to concentrate on other arts projects in Worcestershire, including the Worcester Festival, which he started 17 years ago. A spokesman for Worcester Live said, Chris has worked tirelessly for the organisation and will be remembered for the annual Swan Theatre pantomime, which he wrote and directed, and for introducing annual productions at the Commandery and the Cathedral, as well as reviving the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall at a time when the future of neither venue could be guaranteed. Starford Care Home in Worcester say they are thrilled to have been nominated for two prestigious National Care Awards. The awards recognise excellence and innovation in UK care home management, operation and delivery. Perry Manor, in Charles Hastings Way, is up for Best Individual Care Home and Best Home for Sporting, Social or Leisure Activities. One of the positives identified is that the home has developed a strong relationship with the Worcester Warriors Rugby Club, with players visiting the home each week to enjoy a variety of activities. Residents also enjoy regular intergenerational activities, with the team developing fortnightly visits from the local nursery, as well as art projects with older children. Catherine Matthews, home manager at Perry Manor, said, We are thrilled to have been nominated. At Perry Manor, we place great emphasis on individuals to ensure that everything they do or experience is meaningful and life-enhancing for them. Our activity-based approach to care means that residents are welcome to help around the home and our extensive range of activities and regular outings aim to offer something for everyone. We aim to provide home-from-home care built on respect and understanding of residents' needs and wishes. The passion of our team and the quality of our service shows that the residents are at the heart of everything we do. We have our fingers crossed for a win, she added. Perry Manor opened in 2014 and provides full-time residential dementia and nursing care as well as short-term respite care. And in 2018 it was rated outstanding by the CQC. Bike Mad Youngsters have been invited to an exciting new event in the heart of Worcester. Cycle Sunday has been created by the city's newest campaign forum, Bike Worcester, which aims to persuade council chiefs to improve infrastructure to make it easier and safer to people, for people to move around on two wheels. The forum's inaugural event takes place on Sunday, June the 9th at Pitchcroft Racecourse where youngsters will be able to navigate traffic-free riverside paths with cycle challenges, guided rides and trial racing. The event has been organised by Bike Worcester founder member Paul Sobsession, councillors Louise Stephen and Matthew Jenkins and fellow local cyclists Lyndon Bracewell and Danny Brothwell, 
who aim to identify actions that can be taken to make cycling easier and safer, such as improving cycle paths and filling in hazardous potholes. This is a simple turn-up-and-ride family cycling get-together with the added bonus of skill challenges and games, explained Paul. The event is run by volunteers to encourage more of us to enjoy, enjoy traffic areas of the city. It is a free event for anyone interested in cycling. We are encouraging people to bring a picnic and visit local cafes. All types of bikes are welcome, including balance bikes, trailer bikes, tandems, tricycles and recumbents, added Paul. Whilst riders are welcome to cycle on their own, ride leaders from Worcester St John's Cycle Club and Women on Wheels will be there to help. Cycle Sunday is taking place during National Bike Week and is registered with Cycling UK as a designated Bike Week event, he added. Bike Worcester hopes to involve councillors from the three main political parties, representatives from the City Council and volunteers from Cycle UK, Sustrans, Pushbike and other local cycle clubs. Latest surveys show that cycling locally is increasing at one of the fastest rates in the UK, said Paul. 20% of the county already cycle regularly and we want that number to increase. The benefits are enormous both personally and environmentally. I hope this is just the first of many events we will be holding across the city, added Paul. The event runs from 10.30am until 12.30pm and starts in the centre of the race course. For more information online, go to cyclinguk.org forward slash bike week. Keeping the splash pad in Gellivelt Park safe for children and their families is a top priority, says Worcester City Council. The council came under fire from the public after the splash pad was put out of action due to technical problems on Easter Monday, which was one of the warmest days of the year so far. The council says that overall the splash pad's track record is pretty good. Claire Neville, the council's communications officer, said, In 2018, the facility was open for over 100 days and had to be closed down only on two occasions for a few hours. Councils have no statutory responsibility to provide this type of facility and a number around the country have closed. It's therefore no surprise that people come to Worcester from far and wide to use it. As one of the city's favourite spots to cool off, it's probably no surprise that tempers can reach boiling point on the odd day when the splash pad needs to close for maintenance, as was the case on Easter Bank Holiday Monday. Mark Worrell, the council's green space team supervisor, said sophisticated equipment works behind the scenes to make sure the water is safe. He said, it's not just like turning on a tap. A number of checks are conducted every day to make sure it is safe to open. Leaves and Detritus are blown from the surface, which is also checked for damage. Then the whole surface is sprayed with a biocide. The water quality is tested three times a day to check pH and chlorine levels. 
Temperature checks are carried out every day too. And he urged the public to follow the rules posted beside the splash pad to ensure that the water supply remains clean and uncontaminated. A group of fledgling businesses could soon see an increase in passing trade after it was revealed underlying issues preventing a walkway being opened have now been resolved. Traders located in the city's old Victorian railway arches have been struggling for footfall with a set of gates leading from the hive to the city centre remaining locked. However, a hive spokesman has told us that changes, including the installation of bollards, lighting and signage, are now close to being realised. The decision to open the gates lies with the University of Worcester Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive David Green, the Worcester News understands. Earlier this year, it was announced the government had added a substantial £3 million cash boost to an ambitious £4.5 million project to open up the area and create a crucial city gateway alongside the Arts Council. Mike Davis, owner of the Arch Rivals pub in Netherton Court, said premises owners Network Rail allegedly promised the gates would be opened by October last year, just weeks after he moved in. A spokesman for the Hive said the hold-up was to make the new pathway safe for pedestrians, adding, all parties are working together to move this project forward as soon as possible. It is a very good that progress is at last being made to improve pedestrian con- connectivity with the hive. Together with our partners, we devised a highly imaginative plan which successfully won funding for the Arches project and are delighted that this r- long-running issue can now be resolved. The Hive spokesman continued, The County Council and University both fully support the increased usage of the arches, a project which is set to help create a modern 21st century centre for the creative industries in Worcester. The Hive has allocated funding to open up the route through the site to support the project. They added the project board and council are liaising with a third-party company who owns some of the land adjacent to the Hive in order to enable this new route to be fully utilised. The university spokesman said, we hope the practical work can be completed as soon as possible. New equipment and a skate park tune-up are just some of the improvements that the City Council plans to make to its play areas during the next year. Worcester City Council has announced some of the principal work that it is set to carry out in the next 12 months at the historic Fort Royal Park, Howard Road, Debdale Avenue, Bodium Close, Bishops Avenue and Cornmeadow Lane. Plans include replacing a a rotting climbing frame in Fort Royal Park and making a number of repairs to the skate park in Howard Road play area located off Oldbury Road in St John's, including fixing damaged concrete. Bodium Close play area opposite Woodgreen Drive in Warnden will be resurfaced after part of the large play area was replaced in 2017 with £7,000 coming from Warnden Parish Council. A range of new equipment will also be installed for juniors in the Bishop's Bishop's Avenue play area in Merriman's Hill. 
Meanwhile, the council and externally appointed inspectors said Debdale Avenue play area in Warnden is in poor condition and in need of substantial attention. As a result, the City Council is due to replace all the equipment and completely resurface the tarmac this year. Worcester City Council regularly inspects its 45 play areas and improving and maintaining the facilities cost the authority about £113,000 a year. Maintenance and improvements to the city's play areas are part of a five-year plan put together by the council, inspectors and councillors. The latest plan, compiled in 2017, found the city's play areas are in generally good condition, with 80% showing they should last for at least eight years and 67% showing they should last for at least the next decade. The planned programme follows work carried out to play areas across the city in the last year. New equipment, fencing and flooring was carried out in March in the Batten Hall Rise play area. New equipment was installed and bark was replaced in Troxhill Lane East play area. And new equipment was installed and resurfacing work was carried out in Weir Lane play area and a new rotator was installed alongside resurfacing work in Old Toldine Road play area last year. The City Council's Environment Committee meets next Tuesday to discuss the report and whether to approve the plans. Vicar Jo Musson has been flying high to raise cash for her church. The Reverend Musson, Vicar of St George's Church and John the Baptist in Clanes, was strapped to the top wing of a 1940s Boeing Stearman biplane and flew over RFC Rendcombe Airfield in Cirencester on May the 15th. The 59-year-old said, It was the most beautiful day it could have been, blue sky and not a hint of any breeze. Loads of people from both my churches and also my family and friends came along to Rencombe to cheer and support for cheer to cheer and support me which was fabulous the friend who challenged me to do the wing walk in the first place reverend maureen dew was there too which made it very special maureen is undergoing chemo at the moment for non-hodgkin's lymphoma she said a prayer for me before I took off and I didn't feel as terrified as I thought I would, just determined and focused. The plane flew all around the village of Rencombe for about ten minutes. It's very picturesque and people from other houses also waved to me. I believe the plane went up to a thousand feet and flew at 80 miles an hour. The worst bit was how cold my ears became and I also found that if I turned my head away from the direction we were flying in, the pressure of the wind stopped me breathing, so I just had to look straight ahead. After I landed and I managed to climb down again, I felt quite sick, so I had to pass on the Prosecco and just have water. Reverend Musson, who is married to Adrian and has three daughters and five grandchildren, said the donations were still coming in, but they were closing in on her £10,000 target. The sponsorship money raised will be going to the Clanes 2020 Vision Project in order to raise funds to make Clanes Church more visitor-friendly. And 10% of her sponsorship is also to be given to the cancer charity Bloodwise. 
There is still time to donate at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash rev hyphen joe. A number of new smart gull-proof litter bins are set to appear throughout the city centre. Worcester City Council plans to buy 28 bins in total, 22 litter bins and 6 recycling bins, with the preferred option being to install them in two phases. If approved by the Council's Environment Committee, the first 16 bins, 10 litter and 6 recycling, would be placed throughout the city centre between Forget Street and Cathedral Square. The council would then judge how successful the first phase had been before buying and installing the remaining 12 bins. This is the council's preferred option as it allows recycling to be introduced in the city centre from the start and also allows changes to be made should any problems occur in the first six months, according to a report set to be discussed by the council's environment committee at a meeting next Tuesday, May the 28th. A fund of up to £144,000 to purchase the bins was approved by the Council's Policy and Resources Committee back in February and also recommended councillors in the Environment Committee approved buying the bins in phases to judge they were effective. Ten smart litter bins were trialled throughout the city centre in August and September last year. The solar-panelled, gull-proof, big-belly bins were designed to prevent gulls from scavenging food from the bins and compacted litter to allow it to hold eight times more rubbish and stop overflowing. The bins also alerted council staff when it needed emptying. The new recycling bins would be installed in addition to the recycling point in Angel Place. The city's new mayor has taken up residence in the parlour at the Guildhall. Councillor Allard Ditter posed for his official portrait dressed in his mayoral regalia and chain. Councillor Ditter said, I look forward to a challenging but fulfilling year as mayor of Worcester. My door is open and one of my aims will be to strengthen communication between Worcester's communities, bringing people together from all parts of the city. Councillor Ditter's nominated charities during his mayoral year will be St Richard's Hospice, Worcester Wheels and Headway, Worcestershire. He will also raise funds to support Worcester Cathedral. He is married to Nassim Abdkhtar, who will be mayoress. The couple have six children and 12 grandchildren. This year will be the second time Councillor Ditter has been the city's mayor. Councillor Joe Hodges is Worcester's new deputy mayor. A call for the County Council to declare a climate emergency was rejected. Hundreds of protesters turned up to County Hall and sat in a packed council chamber to hear whether the council would declare a climate emergency and set a target of making the authority carbon neutral by 2030. An amended motion put forward by Cabinet Member for Environment, Councillor Tony Miller, and backed the, conser and backed the Conservatives moved the plea to declare a climate emergency and pushed the carbon neutral target back to 2050. 
Councillor Matthew Jenkins, who had earlier said he could not live with himself if he did not do everything possible to act on the climate emergency, was disappointed to see the motion changed. He said it's not a party political matter, it is a scientific fact. It is too important to delay, it is an emergency and we need to act now. He said the amended motion looked like the council was saying, look at us, we're amazing, we don't need to do much else. Planting three of the council's awards in front of him, Councillor Miller said the council had already been doing its own work to make the council environmentally sustainable for years. He said the work we are doing already is out there. It's no secret. We don't get these awards because we do nothing. He was backed by his cabinet colleague, Councillor Adrian Hardman, who said the Conservatives had been working on making the council more sustainable for more than 20 years, pointing to the Hive as a successful example. Councillor Fran Obrowski said it was a totally negative amendment and Councillor Richard Erdl, who had his own amendment for the council to recognise a climate crisis rejected, said Councillor Miller's changes were saying, do nothing. Remarks by some of the council's conservatives produced boos from the public gallery and shouts of shame on you. Councillor Ken Pollock rubbished the motion and said many were getting carried away with emotion and not thinking about things reasonably. He said it would be unreasonable to think the council could meet any targets by 2030. Councillor John Rain said the council was doing so much less than it should be, whilst Councillor Paul Denham called on the council to be ambitious and get a move on. Councillor Adam Kent accused the opposition of ignoring the facts and were giving the public false hope the council could achieve a 2030 target. Councillor Robin Lunn said merely noting the climate emergency was weak. A mum and daughter are delighted after a gas pipe they claimed was getting bashed around by bin men has been replaced with a much safer alternative at the former's home. Jackie and Joanne Brixton feared the pipe outside the Fortis sheltered flat in Cranham Court would explode as it allegedly kept getting hit by large communal bins during collections. However, after an article in the Worcester News last week, an engineer believed to be from Fortis fitted a new, much smaller pipe that loops immediately back on itself. Fortis told the Worcester News that the pipe was reclipped in August last year after the issue had originally been flagged up, but no other incidents or repairs had been reported since. A spokesman for the sheltered accommodation provider said there was no record of the latest repair on their system. Joanne, 44, said the engineer had come to repair her 67-year-old mum's boiler on Tuesday anyway and so removed the old pipe and fitted the new one at the same time. She said he told her another nick would have split the pipe after she pointed out the issue to him. Joanne previously said of the old pipe, the gas supply could be cut off from the vulnerable residents or worse, would cause a major explosion. I have actually told a worker from one of the crews that it's a gas pipe they're hitting over and over. And he said, I'll go tell my boss in the truck. But I never heard anything after that, said Joanne. She said the issue had also been reported to the City Council. But a spokesman told us for the original article, 
We have no knowledge of this issue and are not aware of any evidence to support this claim. However, a waste service supervisor will visit Cranham Court to investigate. Claire Greensall, Fortis Regional Manager, Communities and Neighbourhoods West, said previously each home has its own gas central heating system and we wouldn't be able to say if the pipe was ruptured who might be affected. Tributes have been paid to the former principal of what is now the University of Worcester, Dorma Irwin, OBE, who has passed away. Dorma was the principal of the then University College Worcester from 1992 to December 2002. A university spokesman said her time at the college was one of the most positive change and development. In 1997, she led the college to earn taught degree awarding powers and thus secure well-deserved university college status. She commissioned the building of new facilities, including a sports hall, digital arts centre, drama studio and new halls of residence. She also oversaw the successful integration of the former College of Nursing into the college. Nationally, she chaired the Standing Committee of Principals leading that organisation, now Guild HE, to become nationally noted for its insightful commitment to inclusion and widening participation. She was made an OBE for her services to higher education. Professor David Green, her successor at the university, said... We were all very sad to learn of the passing of Dorma Irwin. The flags at the university have been flown at half-mast as a symbol of our sorrow at this news. Dorma was very well known throughout higher education and was known at the college for her kindness as well as her devotion to education and inclusion. Her passion for education, student success and the college was both completely clear and powerfully strong. When Dorma left the college, she and her husband, Tony, retired first to Devon and then to France. Dick Bryant, a former vice-principal of the then college, said, Many colleagues, including those still currently working at the university, who knew her well from personal contact, will remember Dorma for her inspiration, vision and enthusiasm. Right, and that brings us to the end of the news. I do have a couple of um, announcements, however. Um, I've been made aware this evening that some people didn't receive their uh, wallets last week. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether it was admin error on our part or Royal Mail, um, but you will receive... Um, recordings this week um, and it just prompts me to remind you that in order to facilitate a smooth operation um, that you will only receive two weeks worth of recordings um, and that if you're unwell or have a problem do give us a ring and leave a message um, but we can't have too many uh, wallets and memory sticks outstanding um, I also um, have some donation thank yous to give out, and that is the Asda Foundation and Ethel Gaylard uh, f 
and the Cathedral Ferry. So very many thanks to those people who've donated money to the um, charity this week. Uh, so it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank Duncan Wynne, Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Sally Rowe and to sign off and hope you all have a good week. The obituaries will follow the music. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Obituaries for the last week are as follows. These funerals will have already taken place. Doris May Jeans, who passed away at St Richard's Hospice on the 3rd of May, her funeral was on May 24th, and a collection for St Richard's Hospice and Cancer Research uh, was going to be taken. Inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS. Also, Graham Woodhouse, who passed away the 10th of May, um, formerly of Stotterson, Hartlebury, Chudsley Corbett, Catshill, Witchbold, St John's, Pershaw, and most recently of Droitwich. Gosh, this gentleman got around a bit. Um, his funeral also is on the 24th. Donations for St Richard's Hospice um, and can be sent to James Giles and Sons Limited, 24 Starbridge Road, Bromsgrove, B61. 0AE. These funerals are still to take place. Ronald Edward John Moore, known as Ron, passed away on the 8th of May. Funeral service at St Peter's Church Poick on Tuesday, May 28th at 11.30am, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for Alzheimer's Research UK can be left on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Clarice Bassett passed away on May 13th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday 28th of May at 10.45am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, and the telephone number is 01905 Carl Julian Rowbottom passed away the 3rd of May. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, May 28th at 2.30pm. Donations for the British Lung Foundation can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, Details as before, uh, their postcode is WR25BT. By request, a choice of any colour clothing may be worn. John Herries, known as Jock Hamilton, Senior Executive Farm Advisory Officer, who obviously worked for the Ministry of Agriculture Food and Fisheries, who lived in Monarch Drive between 1965 and 1983, died at Tavistock in Devon, aged 97. Um, donations for Dementia UK um, and further inquiries uh, can be uh, sent to his, his daughter Elizabeth. Telephone 01822 
8407.03 and his funeral is in Plymouth on the 29th of May. Robert Allen Jessup, known as Bob, passed away the 19th of May. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May 29th at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the crematorium. Neil Brooks of Beverley passed away suddenly on May the 6th. Funeral service at St John the Baptist Church in Clanes on Wednesday, May 29th at 12 noon. Donations for Diabetes UK can be left in church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, details as before. Colleen Rose Pearson of Gullivelt Park passed away May the 13th. Funeral service is at St. Stephen's Church on Wednesday, May the 29th at 2.30pm, followed by private interment. Donations for Blesma may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to EJ Gummery and Sun details as before. Colourful clothing requested. William Raymond Artson, known as Bill, passed away the 10th of May. Funeral service at St Paul's Church in Worcester on Wednesday, May 29th at 2pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent uh, left at church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Details as before. Edna Don passed away May the 10th. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium May the 30th at 3.15pm. Donations to Action Medical Research for Children. No funeral director there. William Nicholas Rowe Harrison, known as Nick, passed away uh, May the 4th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 7th of June at 1.45pm. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance and the RNLI. Uh, inquiries to Emma Booston, funeral services, uh, 50 High Street, Bromyard, HR 7 4AE and their phone number is 01885 489900 and before that is the funeral of Joan Saunders who passed away in his sleep May the 4th her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Friday May the 31st at 10.45am donations if desired for the air ambulance or Acorns Children's Hospice can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services or left at the crematorium. And that concludes the announcements for obituaries this week. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. <laughs> 